Welcome to the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. We are two math teachers who, together, with you, the community of educators worldwide, want to build and deliver math lessons that spark engagement, fuel learning, and ignite teacher action. Welcome to episode number five, Too Many Resources and Too Little Time, a math mentoring moment with Nicole Martin. I am so ready for this. Let's dive right in. In episode five of the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast, Nicole Martin joins us today for a math mentoring moment. Nicole has shared with us that she has recently been exposed to many great math resources recently, such as three-act math tasks, estimation 180, and many more. But she struggled to organize her math block to include these resources with intentionality on an ongoing basis. Listen in as we welcome Nicole to the podcast, and we will put our minds together to work through this very common challenge we all experience across the grades. Just a quick note that early on in the interview, there were some sound challenges. However, they do subside. So stick with it and uh, welcome Nicole to the show. Nicole, how are you doing tonight? I'm great. Thanks. Awesome. Awesome. I'm wondering, uh, well, we want to thank you first for uh, for joining us on the Making Math Moments podcast. We're wondering if uh, you can tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Uh, what are you teaching? And, uh, you know, a little bit of a background for, for those listening at home. Well, I um, am a third grade teacher in Las Vegas, Nevada. I've taught third. This is my 20th year. And in the last, oh, four or five years, I've taught exclusively math. So, um, yeah, I love learning new ways to teach and uh, love my students and excited about all the new things. Nicole, why did you want to become a teacher? Like, I, I always think of that. We, want to, we ask these same questions to uh, everybody that uh, we're interviewing. But uh, uh, what is it like that moment that you knew that you want to become a teacher and why you want to become a teacher? Can you tell us a little bit about that backstory for you? Yeah, so I don't ever remember wanting to do anything else. I um, maybe had a quick stint wanting to be a librarian because that'd be fun to scan books. But uh, (laughs) I've always wanted to teach. My mom was a teacher and I just, and even now if people say, you know, what would you rather do if you weren't teaching? And I just can't think of anything. It just, it's what I've always wanted to do. I I love um, education. I love the kids. I love everything about it. It really is what I was meant to be. So awesome. That's, that's, yeah, that's, uh, that's amazing. Cause I, I, I don't think I can say that about myself. It wasn't until later that, uh, I was like, yeah, I think I, I want to do this. Uh, even though I came from a family of teachers, oh, really? uh, uh, but great for you. Great for you to kind of, uh, be so like uh, in love with yeah. this, this thing or from an early yeah, age. Set your sights on right? the goal. Yeah, for sure. We're, we're wondering, are you willing to share with us your most memorable math moment uh, from math class? Uh, it could be as a teacher or as a student. Well, as a student, I never, so I never was a math kid. I never had an affinity to it. I didn't really like it. I didn't enjoy it. So it was actually really surprising to me that I fell in love with teaching it. I um, was kind of handed my first day of teaching. It was like, here's, we don't have curriculum for reading, but here's your math curriculum. So I was like, let's go with it. And I, I loved it. But um, I'd have to say, uh, my most memorable as far as a teacher is really in the last year or two, um, I had kids, I started doing estimation with the kids and um, 
having the kids get up and talk. And I had a student come up and she actually wanted to share a wrong answer with the class and how she got there. And I was kind of like, what? I shocking. And then I realized, well, we've been doing estimations. So we're in a, in, in a sense, we're kind of wrong every day and it's a safe thing. And so Mm -hmm. having that like aha moment of like, wow, the kids are starting to feel safe being incorrect. And that was for me, like, I don't know, a huge payoff. Like I really felt like we were getting somewhere, um, as far as their comfort and, and, um, their willingness to share with each other. So that was kind of a defining moment for me. That's awesome. That's a, uh, you know, sounds like that, that, uh, safe, non-threatening classroom environment is, uh, being developed, uh, in your classroom, which is great. I'm curious, um, you know, for your estimation, how, how do you go about that? Like, is there any resources that you're using? Maybe some on the web? I know of a few. I'm just curious if, uh, you know, if, if maybe it's the same ones or maybe, uh, I could learn something from you here. Yeah. We, I use estimation 180. Um, also Steve Wyborny's, um, he has a, I think it's him, has a series of four estimation things, uh, like it builds on each other. So um, those two sites are the sites that I've been using primarily in my classroom for estimation. Beautiful. Yeah, def- definitely uh, for John and I, Estimation yeah. 180 is a big one. And anytime I'm working with uh, with elementary students, Steve Wyburny, I'm toss- yeah. uh, constantly mm-hmm. sharing yes. splat. And I know he's got the estimation yes. clipboard going on right now and a few other uh, cube, uh, cube, uh, darn, I'm going to lose it, conundrum uh, or cube something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I just butchered it. But I bet you if you Google right. You know, Steve and cubes and, you know, he's, he's got all kinds of cool things going on. So, um, both Andrew, uh, for, uh, estimation 180 and, uh, Steve Wyberny. So awesome. Yeah. Just was curious if maybe there was some others. Uh, we learned something new last night when we were, uh, interviewing, uh, uh, Matthew and, uh, you know, he, he shared a few resources with us. So, uh, yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for sharing that. What amazed me, Steve is is how much, like when he's like, I'm going to give you some splat. I'm not just going to give you some splat. I'm going to give you like a hundred and, uh, <laughs> or, or the new one, the, you know, the SD, uh, the mysteries. We just did that yesterday. Yeah. The SD mysteries. Loved it. He's like, I, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. And he's like, I got a whole bunch for you. And then the same with, uh, those, those hundred grids that he uses. Uh, he's got a ton of puzzles there. Uh, what uh, what uh, one did what SD one did you use uh, yesterday? We did the first one. It was a little uh, the cup. It would look like little muffins in a cup, and they love that. Um, and they really they really built on it and and enjoyed it and got a kick out of it. So it was fun. They and I love seeing it when they get it. Yeah, yeah. Could you tell? Can you walk us through like what that might look like? Just uh, just so we get a sense of of what your that that would look like in your classroom. Uh, I think it would help paint a picture for us, but also for anyone listening who's new to this. So the activity generally, um, you know, the the activity is the kids make an estimation, they get a picture, and they they're comfortable with estimating because we've done it a lot, and so. Um, we had the kids make an estimate and this time, usually I have them do it in their notebooks, but this time, um, we were short on time. So I had the kids, uh, actually just ever, I went through and I usually don't have everybody share their estimation with me. I usually have them talk to somebody and then write it down. But since they didn't have a way to write it down, um, I actually wrote down everybody's estimation on the board and then, um, we talked about, and so then we went through and as the first clue was revealed and it was, you know, it's a number under 50. So then we talked about which estimates would have to be eliminated based on that. And then we went through the next clue and, um, has to be a multiple of three. So then we talked about that and I had the kids talk with each other. And so we just kind of went down the clues and really eliminated 
um, answers that weren't reasonable or didn't apply, especially since it was also the first time we'd done it. I really wanted to make it a very guided um, lesson. And so uh, we went through until we eventually got to the last one and, uh, you know, the kids were able to guess it. And so we, so usually I would have them write their own estimates and write their reasoning down. Um, but this time we did it whole group uh, on the board because they didn't have any paper and pencil. So. Very cool. Very cool. That's awesome. And uh, so we're wondering, um, you know, the purpose of this call was to uh, allow you to come on and kind of share one of your struggles or challenges that you might have experienced either currently or or something that maybe has been, uh, you know, an itch that uh, you've been trying to scratch for, you know, quite some time. Uh, knowing uh, knowing what that's like in the classroom, we all have all kinds of challenges, but we're curious, like, what's on your mind lately? So, I feel, I think it was last year that I stumbled on, um, Christina Tondival's virtual math summit. And that was kind of when this whole world, I mean, I've always kind of done number talks and things like that and really encouraged kids to talk about their thinking and trying to make a safe environment. But, um, I don't know. I just math jumping from curriculum to curriculum and just never really feeling. And then with the common core and all this, never finding a place to land. And so, um, in discovering estimation 180 and three act tasks and notice and wonder and um, all these different things that I learned from all these speakers in her math summit, it just kind of opened up this, this is what I was looking for. This is how I want my math classroom to go. And so we've been doing three act tasks and really trying to spark curiosity, as you guys say, and just, and just get kids excited about math and wanting to discover, um, want to have a reason to solve these problems. But my dilemma is I also have a whole slew of standards and um, we're not given a curriculum necessarily. I use a lot of Engage New York and Zern, um, but we're not married to one curriculum. My principal doesn't really care how we teach it as long as we do it. So my dilemma is I'm kind of overwhelmed with amazing resources and amazing ideas. And I just don't know how to marry the two. I don't, I don't really know the best way to structure my classroom so that I have a healthy balance. Or is it that if we do enough of these problem based activities that, that the learning falls in? Because I do know that with this kind of thing, the payoff might not be immediate. You might not see the payoff immediately. You might have to, you know, be in it for a while, but I just, I'm trying to find a way to make sure they're learning the standards and also use all these great things I've been discovering the last couple of years. Mm, yeah. yeah, this is uh, this is really awesome, and I, you know, I feel like we've heard we've heard you know very similar uh, stories before when we chat with teachers. Um, one thing I do want to clarify because we do have an international audience. I what I've noticed, you know, us being uh, you know Canadians and mm. outsiders to the United States in the United States. Um, when you refer to curriculum, um, typically what you're talking about, I think, is like a resource, like yes. uh, like uh, it could be a textbook yes. or it might be a digital online resource. Whereas like here, I know where we're from in Ontario, we call the curriculum like standards. standards. Oh, okay. So yeah. kind of a, kind of a tricky thing. So yes. we're not we're we're not saying you know you need to change your language. We're just making Perfect. sure that everyone listening, um, yeah, so that they know. So so you're you're a Common Core state. Correct. So you're using the Common Core state standards. And you're using, and it sounds like your administrator is like, you know, in your school or district is is open to, you know, any curriculum or any resource yeah. to allow you to meet those standards. Right. So 
um, yeah, so lots of stuff in it. And it sounds like you're a little bit challenged with, uh, you know, like, how, you know, how do I make it all right. sort of fit together? Yeah. Yes. What's that look like? So Nicole, is there, is there anything else, uh, that you could add to that or anything else, uh, that is bothering you or struggles just, just to get everything out into the open? Hey, Math Moment Makers, Kyle here, and I've got just a quick message specifically for our district-level mathematics decision makers out there. Do you feel like you're spinning your wheels when making district-level goals for mathematics programming from kindergarten through grade 12? Setting new goals each year only to find little to no real shift in pedagogical practice or educator content knowledge across the district as a whole? Take a moment to book a short call with our team so we can learn more about your specific district and educator learning needs in mathematics so we can assist you in taking the first step of many in the right direction. Visit makemathmoments.com forward slash district to book a web call with our team today. We have a limited number of spots for districts just like yours, so don't wait head to makemathmoments.com forward slash district and grab a spot in our calendar now. Uh, oh, the other thing is, is just the diversity. So I, I used to find that, you know, you'd have a couple of kids that struggle maybe with number sense or forgetting some procedures, but um, I do teach at a title one school, which means an at-risk community, 70% of our population is free and reduced. So there's a lot that the students bring to school with them and the learning gaps are getting wider and wider. So now I have kids that need to count one to one to add three plus six. And I also have kids that know, you know, advanced multiplication and they're all in the same classroom together and um, just really trying to make sure I'm meeting the needs of both sets of students. And then of course, the ones in the middle and, and finding that happy medium and, and, you know, making sure I'm reaching all my learners is, is another big concern for me and, and trying to do that. And, you know, so that's, that's another thing I've been struggling. That's been a struggle, you know, as teachers, we always want to meet the needs of all our students. And, um, but I find that those gaps are getting so much wider. It's like, oh, I need to start at the beginning with you. And I never taught kindergarten. I don't know where to start. So that's kind of been a challenge to kind of feeling like I need to learn, you know, more foundational things because I mean, I've always taught third grade. So, which I love, but it's kind of a hindrance sometimes because I don't have that base knowledge, you know, of what kids start with. Right. Right. Yeah. That, that's uh, something that I've finally opened my eyes to was, you know, reaching way down into kindergarten in the early years to sort of make some connections between what kids are learning down there when they're learning how to count even one-to-one and the other counting principles, like there's so much complexity going on there and and like you said, there are students that are in our classrooms. I was in a, a grade eight class the other. No, sorry, it was a grade seven classroom the other day, and uh, we were doing a, a task. It wasn't a, a complex task by any means, but it involved proportional relationships. And and this student was counting oh. one to one. Um, you know, the the rate was three. Mm-hmm. You know, three for every one. And and basically, we had or the ratio was three for every one. And and they were going one, two, three, four, five, six. Seven, eight, nine, like, and using the fingers and, you know, we're not going to discourage that or anything like that, but 
you know, I, yeah, we've, we've got to know sort of like, so what's right. the next jumping point for, you know, for that. Definitely. Student? So I, I'm wondering if, uh, if we kind of back up and uh, maybe, maybe you can help us uh, understand um, some of the resources that like, you've already talked about some of the estimation resources, which again, like even just that, like for estimation, mm-hmm. you're, you've already, you know, mentioned two pretty phenomenal resources that are out there. And I'm sure there's others that you've been using. Uh, what are some other uh, resources? I know you said as like a, a full um, curriculum, you were talking about Engage New York, which, uh, which I believe is uh, also like considered Eureka Math, I believe. Yes, it is. Yep. Awesome. And uh, you mentioned another one. What was the other one? Zern, was it? Zern. So Zern is actually the same as Eureka, but it's an online program um, that it it basically teaches the kids. It has little math chats and towers of power. And so the kids kind of um, learn on their own, well, not on their own, but you the, the structure is that you would teach a whole group lesson or a small group lesson, and then the kids go and do a lesson on their own. And um, when I found that, I was like, this is it because, you know, kids love computers. They love learning like that. But I found that my low kids are taking, they should be able to do four lessons a week. And my my struggling students were getting through one lesson, if that a week, and my other kids were flying. And so I was like, this might not be the gold mine that I thought it was. Um, but that is the same as, as Eureka Math. It's just computer based. And so cool. it's really engaging. The kids do love it. They always ask, are we doing it? Are we doing Zern? Yeah. So they like it. But yeah. And I also yeah. don't know if they're old enough to know how to not teach themselves, but like to know when you don't understand something or, you know, our attitude and we're trying to learn something off of YouTube, you know, you have to watch it, you have to listen. I don't, I don't know how developed their minds are to be all in, to pay attention and, and get the most out of it. Right. Well, and, and what I'm hearing too is, you know, you have a lot of resources and that, and while that does, yes, like for us as, as the ones planning our lessons, it seems very overwhelming. Um, but at the same time, I'm wondering if maybe that's a good thing because, you know, maybe Zern is a, is a great resource, but mm-hmm. maybe not all the time. Right. So right. coming back to that idea of balance. So, yes. um, Interesting. I'm wondering, like, can you share with us, like, how, what, what does your typical process sound like when you're, when you're doing some planning? Like, uh, I'm sure you have a long range plan in mind, but then when it comes down to, you know, getting, I guess, closer to um, that weekly outlook or that weekly plan, um, you know, can you take us through a little bit of like, you know, what, what factors are coming into mind for you or factors coming into play to, uh, to make some of those decisions? Well, just kind of looking at where they're at and what they're learning a lot of formative assessment, you know, throughout they like there's exit tickets every day. And so seeing where the kids are struggling or, um, you know, I, I do some kind of a number talk of some sort every day or, you know, counting around the class or, or quick images and trying to, um, see where they're at with that. And then just building through the standards. I mean, looking at the standards and where I need to be. And um, my one challenge in third grade is that they introduce multiplication. So I find that we get, we kind of lag there for a long time because, you know, it's all new to them for most of the students. And so um, we kind of spend a long time on that and just really seeing, and then, you know, when they're working, where are the gaps and what things do they still need to go over or raise or, you know, whatever, or, algorithms and things like that, or not algorithms, but equations. And, you know, just kind of looking at, at where the students are, are uh, struggling and, and where they're making it, and then just kind of developing through that. And then looking at the different resources I have, you know, but like I said, my, 
my personal weakness is I'm kind of like a cast a really wide net and I want to do all of it <laughs> mm-hmm. and finding ways to narrow that down is sometimes challenging. Yeah, for sure. The curse of the committed teacher. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Return on investment, you know, like, is it worth all this time? Right. And, and, you know, like when you er, earlier, when you talked about your, you know, your main struggle saying like, I've got all these great things and, and how do I piece these things together uh, to meet the needs of my students? Um, which is a great, which is a big struggle, I, I think, for many of us. It's still for, I think, for me and Kyle. Uh, but uh, what what have you done? What have you tried so far to kind of bring that together? Um, like, like, how do you piece those those two parts together or those many parts together? Like, what have you tried so far to kind of like fix that struggle of yours? Um, well, I I mean, it's it's still pretty new. What I right. what I I've landed on kind of doing is is integrating maybe a day of not even every week, maybe once every couple of weeks doing a notice and wonder, and that's the whole math lesson. And then throughout the rest of the week, pulling groups and doing Zern or doing whole group lessons and things like that, just kind of trying to um, keep them curious, keep them wondering. And I do like that when we do a notice and wonder, then we can refer back to it. Oh, remember how, you know, and we had to multiply to do this or, or you found this. And, um, I have noticed in doing them more, my kids that are a little less inclined to participate are now starting to try. So that's really exciting to see. Um, but getting them to transfer that also into their, their everyday work, but that that's kind of where I've landed right now is doing it once or twice a month, you know, and, or no, probably once or twice, you know, yeah, twice a month I've tried. Uh, let me just try to repeat what, what you said there. Like, uh, So what you're trying to do is like fit in like, oh, I got to do a notice and wonder here. Oh, I got to get some Zern in here. Like, is that is that some of the thought process that's going in? It's like, oh, yeah, we got to go back to that. Uh, I like that resource. Oh, yeah, we got to throw that in. I'm just we're just uh, trying to, to grasp what uh, what your classroom looks like so we can provide you the best feedback here. So is, it, is that is that kind of like when you're thinking about it? That's that's yeah, uh, so- jump jumping around a little bit and you're like, I wish I could just, uh, I, I could fit this all in a nice flow. Well, so our daily routine is Zern. So the kids usually get 30 minutes to work on the computer and then, um, well, f- yeah, 30 minutes and then 40 minutes is, you know, part number talk and part me giving a lesson. And, um, then yeah, finding a notice and wonder that kind of applies to, um, estimation takes a while too. So some days that might be our whole, my whole group time is doing an estimation lesson. So Zern has pretty much been the constant um, part of my lesson and then trying to incorporate other activities that build that curiosity and build that um, interest. But like I said, my concern with Zern is some of the kids aren't moving forward as fast. So they're not really getting the content that they need. And that's when I started saying, I don't know if I'm doing what's best. Like, I don't know if those kids that are, are getting through one or two, you're not moving through the material and you're struggling. So that's where I started saying, I don't, I don't know what's best. Right. Right. And you know what you helped, uh, you actually read my mind because I was going to ask you a little bit about the structure of a lesson. And, and I know that every day of course is going to look a little bit different here and there, but just to kind of get an idea um, because yeah, you had mentioned before mm-hmm. about like, you know, the warm up or a number talk, and then you also mentioned like an exit ticket at the end. So it's really helpful um, to hear that it sounds like Zern is something that you tend to do at the beginning. Yeah. 
and you spend, you know, it, it's not like 30 minutes is a significant amount of time mm-hmm. and, uh, and then move into like a number talk slash lesson and then maybe like an estimation. I, I'm wondering if like, if you're picturing almost like, um, looking at your math block and, and sorry, how much time do you have? Because, uh, based on that, I see 70 minutes minimum. So that's my dilemma. I actually, uh, we departmentalize. So I teach all of third grade math. So I do three different classes. I do three different times a day. So I only get about 70 minutes with transition, which is a struggle this year because in past years I had a little more wiggle room. I had a little more if a lesson went long, whereas now I'm really limited to that 70 minute block. Right, right. Okay. Well, that's really helpful to know because um, I'm wondering if like we we were to maybe picture your your math block, you have the 70 minutes and, and you can you can split it up any way you want. I know, um, actually, we already mentioned uh, Andrew Stiddell before he has this idea of the classroom clock, which is something uh, really cool. Uh, to check out and uh, and both John and I really it resonated with us. So kind of like breaking that 70 minutes down and thinking about, you know, what that might look like, sound like. And, I, you know, a few things that I heard and, it, and it's, it's only a wonder, um, but just about the idea of like number talks, uh, estimation, um, like where like Zern sort of fits in. And like maybe trying to structure like more generally, like these little, these little blocks of your classroom clock, like almost like calling like a portion of that, of that lesson, like the warm up, mm-hmm. and maybe certain things fit into that warm up spot. Mm-hmm. And once that spot's taken up, then you know that like the other things that fit that category, like sort of don't fit that day. Yes. Right. So like, I'm thinking like, for example, a warm up to me might be a, a number talk or a mini lesson. I'm not sure if you're aware of like Kathy Fosno's work. She was a part of uh, uh, Christina Tonnevolt's um, virtual summit this past summer. Mm-hmm. She has mini lessons, which are like number talks, but structured a little bit differently, like estimation 180. There's all kinds of things mm-hmm. like uh, you, you had mentioned Steve Wyberney's yeah. site. Um, so I'm picturing like maybe picking one of those per lesson yes. rather than trying to like fit them all in. Yes. Okay, great. Yes. That's what I'm sorry. I was thinking over a general, over a week, I might do a different one, but yes, you're right. I, I see. I yes. See. Beautiful. Beautiful. And then I'm wondering like, you know, do you, do you mind sharing like, so what, what are your, what are your hopes with using Zern and uh, our apologies, we're not super fam- familiar with what that tool sort of looks like, sounds like, but it sounds like, you know, fairly probably independent for students to go in and sort of do independent work learning slash practice, I would guess. Yes. So it, it basically takes the kids through, it's, it's broken down into modules and I'm not, that's where I'm kind of sitting. Like, is this something I want to keep using? I love it, but I don't know that the payoff is there as far as the kids that lag behind. But, um, I, uh, it's, it's broken down into modules that cover like operations and, you know, like the, like multiplication or measurement. So our big standards. And, um, so each module will cover like that standard. And so, you know, like the measurement one they're doing now. And so it, it has time and then volume and, and leaders and they're working with that. And so it will take them through a little lesson and then they practice that lesson. And then, um, you know, they have an exit ticket based on it. So, um, that's how it's structured. So basically it's the curriculum that I used to stand in front of them and teach, and then they'd have a practice worksheet or whatever it was. Now Mm -hmm. that's computerized is, is basically what that is. It's 
compiled on the computer. Cool. So about 30 minutes of that. And then you've got about 40 minutes for, you know, you had mentioned sort of like the other things, which would mm-hmm. be like, you know, if it's an estimation or a number talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you had mentioned like the lessons. So right. I'm wondering is, would, would the work in Zern be um, connected to the lesson or, yeah. or would it be sort of different depending on where students are? And how do you select that? Um, that lesson for the day is there, you know, like thinking about that learning goal and, you know, where, where you, where you quote unquote are in the standards or what does that look like? So they actually have, um, lessons. It's a small group lesson that goes with the content that they're learning for that day. And so it does, it's a direct, it is a little bit of a direct instruction based on that skill, um, because they're not going to get it all strictly from, the T or the, the computer. So yeah, that the, whatever my lesson is, is based on what they're already learning in Zern. So it's kind of like a, a, you know, a introduction to what they're doing or, or recap. But, but then again, my struggle is the kids that, you know, were passing and some are moving ahead. So now you mentioned, uh, you, you know, three act maths earlier, earlier too, like a three act math type of activity. Um, how mm-hmm. does that fit into what you're, what you're working on with, uh, you know, what that 70 minutes looks like, 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 uh, it's, is it, is it, is it a routine thing or not a routine thing? Um, where would that fit in, in your lesson? So when I do a three act task, that's usually all we get done for the day. We might get some kind of a number talk in also, but it, they pretty much take, I, I devote the whole time to that. So um, I wouldn't say it's routine yet in that we do it every Monday or we ever, you know, because I, I, I wasn't sure. I watched, you know, Robert Kaplinsky as a webinar on kind of this idea of similar stuff. And he was like, you know, once or twice in a unit. So I wasn't sure how much is overkill. Do they transfer? So I've only done a few this year with my kids. I think I've done three or four so far. So um it's not a routine in that we know when we're doing, you know what I mean? Like the kids are like, oh, we're doing this now, but I give it whenever we do it. It's the whole period. Hey there, Math Moment Makers. Are you a dedicated listener? Like I'm talking, have you been listening for a couple of months, maybe even a couple of years? Well, if you haven't taken a moment to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform, it would mean so much to us. It'll take you under one minute uh, so that you can help more educators see and experience the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. Uh, Do us this huge solid. Uh, We thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And uh, here is today's episode. Gotcha. Gotcha. Sometimes they do, uh, you know, the, the, the way, the way Dan presents it, or, or if you've, you've sat in Robert's, uh, sessions when he's done one, uh, they do seem to, uh, take, take a good chunk of time to get all that thinking and right. ideas and, and communication and, and wonders and notices all out in the open. So it, it definitely, they, they definitely take a lot of time, especially mm-hmm. if, if the kids aren't used to them, you know, right. like, if, if you've done one or two or three and uh, they're like, what is going on here? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you mean? Notice right. and wonder, you know, like uh, sometimes that can be like uh, almost like my first few were like pulling teeth, like mm-hmm. asking the kids to notice stuff. And uh, so yeah, they can they can definitely um, use some of that set 70 minutes. So I, I've definitely been in that situation where my class went by and and that that time was gone. And, and you know, since then, I've I've learned 
uh, I've learned to to kind of move the class along so okay. that I I don't use my whole 70 minutes to okay. do that. I, I usually aim for about 40, uh, 30 okay. to 40 minutes now um, when I do those tasks. And, and I, you know, that that's just, I think for me, that just came with experience and knowing like when to cut off a notice and wonder and when to say, move on to it, to the learning goal for the day and, and try to get some of that thinking out into the open. What do you, what do you think, Kyle, on that one? Yeah, for sure. And and I hear this uh, a lot. Like the question we get a lot is, you know, where does a three-act math task mm-hmm. fit? So for those at home, and you know, John and I have been talking about them on the last couple episodes. Um, but um, for those who are unaware, you know, this we're giving students this like provocation at the beginning with a video or an image or something along those lines to spark curiosity. And, um, I'll, I'll be honest, like I used to save them for like the review mm-hmm. and after a few years, like I realized like it wasn't actually like working very well for me by doing that. And, and maybe it's just me, but I, I know John, you're very similar yeah. in, in your approach now. Like we've sort of flipped our teaching style. So when we do this, the, the formal lesson, we've actually started using the three act math task as a way to teach. So, you know, we, we talk about this as like teaching through task and, you know, a, a great resource you might consider would be reading some of the work on Marion Small okay. or other people who use sort of, um, you know, we'll, we'll call it inquiry approach. I, I'm really scared to use that term because a lot of people have like negative thoughts when they hear that word. Um, but we don't mean inquiry like students just go off and do whatever they want. But what we're doing is we're, we're actually picking a learning goal ahead of time. And we're actually using a task that's going to elicit specific or, or particular um, mathematical thinking um, and typically has some sort of low floor and really high ceiling so that, you know, hopefully we'll be able to capture some of those students you had referenced before. You had mentioned that the mm-hmm. diversity in, in the room and, uh, and the learning gaps, um, some students down at one to one and some students, you know, way up at, you know, more uh, you know, automaticity with multiplication and so forth. So um, for us, like we're, we're trying to take a task and we want to like elicit the math learning through the task. And then the teaching happens like when we consolidate the actual task. So that might be, you know, maybe something to, to try. Okay. Um, like rather than, uh, you know, let's say doing the three act math task and, you know, just kind of like hoping, like what I used to do was I, I would, I would give a three act math task after I thought kids had everything they needed to solve it on their own. And I sort of just let them go. It was like, you know, problem solving time, just let them go. But now it's sort of like putting them in this productive struggle where they really only have the tools in their tool belt. Like typically I'm saying like, you know, no calculators unless it's, you know, the, the numbers right. are all, you know, ugly decimals and sure. things like that. But typically to keep it low floor, I try to keep the, the numbers like nice and tight, uh, at least early on. And, uh, and then after, uh, when we're watching the students solving, like trying to pick up where students are and then sort of facilitate that consolidation to elicit some student thinking and like, and, and help students see multiple representations. And, and then I do a little bit of that direct instruction during that process to try to like push everyone's thinking just a little bit further rather than me sort of doing this big full lesson and, you know, giving, you know, definitions and steps and examples and all these things where I know half the class is already shut down and the other half of the class probably already knew this stuff. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm just up here talking and, and, you know, what do you know, the bell's ready to go. So 
Um, like does, is that in your mind, do you have any, like maybe questions about that or any confusion about, I know that was like pretty heavy, what we just shared right there, No, yeah. sort of like what's rushing to my brain right now, as I hear, uh, hear this conversation. That makes a lot of sense. And I do try very hard to let, give them as little information and structure as possible. Um, I do wonder how did you, how do you handle the students that are pretty quick. And I know high ceiling, but even in that high ceiling, some kids are still really quick. And and so I think probably my biggest downfall is allowing it to go a little longer for those struggling kids. And I know they don't, I know some kids will never get the answer, but when you see that um, student who's not inclined to try and they're trying, you're like, Ooh, I'm going to give you another minute or two to keep working. Cause I, I really, you know, I want you to have that success, but I've had, and it's not a huge problem, but there's always one or two that are done way faster than everybody else, which is always an issue. But how do you manage that in a three when you're doing a three act test? Sure. Like, what do you? Yeah, sure. Uh, so what usually what we do is in the planning stage of that is in we, you know, we, when we start planning our lessons, we use a, a resource called uh, the five practices of productive or sort of orchestrating productive mathematical discussions. Have you have you heard of that book? I haven't. It's a good book. I'll, we'll put it in the show notes for, for sure uh, to okay, reference. Perfect. But uh, it ended up being my my go to guide. Like I was I I read I, I was doing a you know when I first started doing three act math talks I felt like now when I look back on it I was doing them all wrong, and I started to with trial and error do it a certain way. And when I found this book, I was like this this is what I've been doing, and it gives it a name and. And it gave it became like the guide to using three act math tasks for me. And I know for a lot of other teachers that that they use it for that style. But, you know, it's a, it's definitely a, a five, you know, five phases of a, of a lesson uh, that mm-hmm. can be used not just for a three act math test for many different okay. tests. But, you know, the first phase is one of the most important phases, which is the is the anticipation stage, which mm-hmm. is when you, you know, say like, for example, my the first one that I ever did was a task by Andrew Stadell and it was that filing cabinet one. Have you seen this one? I haven't. Oh, oh this is this one. This one's a great one. It was we'll put that in the show notes too. Yeah, for sure. Andrew, you know, Andrew has a video of him covering part of a filing cabinet with sticky notes and numbering them all. And then it, it's a very short clip. And, you know, every kid, the question when you ask notice and wonder um, and you ask them to, you know, think, pair, share on that. Um, what do you, what do you, you know, what do you notice? What do you want to then turn to your partner? What do you notice when you wonder, have a share, and then you share it out loud. Like everybody's going to say how many sticky notes cover that file of cabinet. Like that is a great one because you know, that question is coming out and that's, and I always, I always line that one up when I start area, but also start surface area. If, if I'm, if I'm teaching surface area, but also just area of rectangles is, is, is a, is a great starter. And what, what happens is when when i'm planning that lesson i'm going through all the possible ways kids would solve that problem mm-hmm. so i'm actually doing it myself on a piece of paper in my in my prep time or my planning time and and so i'm i'm you know i might have you know i might say well the kids will get the dimensions of this and and they'll divide the dimensions up before they do do the, do the find the sticky notes or maybe they'll find the area of the sticky note and find the area of the rectangle and then they'll divide you know there's different ways of doing that but one of one of the my my most important planning aspects is what happens when a kid's done early so which always happens like three groups are going to be done early and the other groups aren't are half started so I know that I'm going to have to spend time with the pair or one kid who's just half started. Um, and, you know, you know what cuts down on that, Nicole, is pairing kids up. Um, and I, random, I randomly pair kids up and have them work in groups of two all the time. 
Uh, and I know people will will pair them up or not pair them up, but put them in groups of three. Uh, a lot of people like groups of three. Uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of groups of two, mm-hmm. but uh, but that will also alleviate some of the that group didn't get started because or that group got started a little faster than they would have if it was just isolated. Uh, because now, you know, one of them has an idea that they can start. But uh, going forward, that is one technique to, to what what do we do when that, that group is done is we have like the the extensions ready to go. Yeah. So it's an it's super important planning phase so that when that group is done, you're like, oh, just hang mm-hmm. on, kids. Like you don't want that to happen because it's a waste of time. Right. So, so so every task you can extend it and, and you, you think about like what could I do now to either – extend this idea. And if we're talking about Andrew Stiddell's task, I might say like, what happens if I change the sticky notes from three by three to two by two? Or, or what happens if I have to cover, like, if I put um, the garbage can on top, like, you know, like, what happens if I, I don't cover that one face? So, um, have a follow-up so there, there, you, yeah, I definitely have those questions written okay. down somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually, you know, the more times you would do that lesson, you don't have to write them down anymore. You just know them. So, or or you just you remember that these are the questions I'm going to ask the kids and the groups that are done early. Um, some people write them on cards and just pass a card out to a kid. Um, I know, I know Kyle has, has done it where it's uh, the question will, will relate to something that they did a day before. So now it's like, uh, what percent cover, you know, what percent is covered if, if three sticky notes are on there? So you're trying to stretch back or, or even stretch forward. Kyle, what, what do you think about that, about kids being done early? I know that's a, that's a big question that we've had before too. Yeah. And you know, something, something else. And I, I think every, everything you said, John is, is definitely a, a great, great strategy. Um, I also know that a lot of people, uh, I'm not sure if, uh, if you've ever heard of spiraling Nicole, but, uh, spiraling is, is something that a, a lot of teachers tend to be thinking about now realizing that, you know, we, we tend to teach math in, uh, in, in silos, yes. right? Like we use mm-hmm. units and then, you know, we're sort of like hanging out in percent land for a week and then we go into integer land for, you know, right. two weeks. And then, you know, you don't see these things ever again. And like the the parts that John's talking about, these extensions um, are great opportunities to kind of stretch the thinking and, and sort of, you know, cycle back to some of these ideas. But then the other piece that I always I always like to use in order to slow things down a little bit is to really be heavy on the tools and the representations. So like the math mm-hmm. models for students to convince us, because oftentimes what we see is the students who are finishing fast, oftentimes are relying on procedure and don't necessarily have all of the conceptual underpinnings. They may, um, but oftentimes they they have, they struggle to, to have the adaptive reasoning to actually articulate and justify like why what they did actually works. So, you know, for example, if it, you know, if it's a, I'll put it somewhere in middle school, if we're solving a proportional relationship and a, you know, a st- student multiplies by this and divides by that and gets the answer. And it's just like this number divided by that number multiplied by that number. Like I, I want to push them to like, tell me like, what do those numbers mean? Because oftentimes kids aren't showing the unit of measure and they actually don't know what it is that they're actually doing. Like when you divided that, Mm -hmm. why does that actually make sense in this problem? And even though you can get an answer, 
like, could you actually apply that strategy when, when things get a little more complex, like add one more layer of complexity, be it next unit or be it next year, are you going to be able to keep up or are the wheels going to fall off your bus? And I really want students to, you know, have that understanding that oftentimes math class is less about finding the answer and more about actually convincing us. A colleague I work with, uh, Yvette Lehman, uses that all the time. Like she's like, I I don't believe you, she says to kids, you know, straight up. She's like, the kid says the answer is this. And she's like, I don't believe you. And they're like, well, look, I did this. And she's like, I still don't believe you. Like, I don't understand Mm -hmm. what you just did there. And it really puts kids in the spot where they go, huh, you know what? Like, yeah, I don't know what the heck I'm doing here. And and that's where we can start looking at things like different models, like linear models or area models or set models or, you know, like these things that I was never exposed to when I was actually learning in the classroom. And I never knew about when I was teaching in the classroom for the majority of my career. But these are things like we can sink our teeth into. And, and for me, in my mind, these are like these are big difference makers in order to sort of close that gap between that one-to-one counter and that student way up top is that you're, you're kind of bringing them together when, when the student at the top realizes that, wow, mm-hmm. I know how to memorize stuff, but I'm actually not that much further than that kid way down there. And when everybody sort of comes to that realization, you go, huh, this is, uh, you know, the, the math class is more than just, um, you know, coming up with this, uh, with an answer and, you know, a therefore statement. Well, and I really liked uh, your podcast before where you talked about making, having everybody use concrete and that the kids, as they go, will learn the ones as they, as they build their confidence and, and understand, they will realize it's more time consuming. Cause I used to discourage kids that I assumed were higher, like, Oh, you don't need the, you don't need the concrete. You don't need the, you know what I mean? Like you just want to play with the manipulatives. You just want to, you know, waste your time. And I would actually discourage mm-hmm. them from using them. Um, and then in us too. Yeah. Cause you're like, no, you don't need that. It's not. And so it re- that really resonated. I haven't done that recently, but it, it really resonated like, and that idea of sometimes those quick math students can't prove it with concrete. And so, um, but yeah, that was kind of an aha, like, yeah, they will probably, you know, learn how to use them responsibly, but really encouraging everyone to prove it and, um, and give representation. Cause that's, that is the hardest thing. And it is so bizarre to me when we do the estimation and I make them write their reasoning. I make them, I say, if I walk up to you and say, you know, prove it, what are you going to say? And if you ask them, they'll tell you in a second, but man, you make them put that pencil to paper and they act like they have never thought out a, a thought in their lives. They can't do it. And so that's really been something um, I'm trying to get them to be able to have confidence. Like if you can say it to me, why can't you write it in a sentence? And so trying to model that too, because they don't know how to prove it on paper, which is, you know, with testing and things, that's something they need to be able to do. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm, definitely. If we go back to your main, your, you know what, your main struggle being, you know, how do I put these things together? And um, you know, something, I think something that I do that tries to put all of these things together is, is I, I usually do a, a routine and in this routine always, you know, usually happens, uh, when I introduce a new idea. So like, for example, we go back to Andrew's, um, filing cabinet. If I'm starting area of rectangles or calculating area of rectangles, 
Um, I'm going to, you know, that lesson might start like uh, I do a warm up activity, like Kyle mentioned mm -hmm. before, and that and usually on my classroom clock, you know, that might that might only take uh, I might budget, you know, 10 minutes uh, to do that that warm up. So that might be an estimation activity or a would you rather activity or which one doesn't belong or a number mm -hmm. talk. So I'm in that in that warm up warm up activity. I I actually thoughtfully do not make it about area of rectangles. I'll make it about uh, something else from our course or or maybe it's just number sense uh, like an estimate that the estimation problems are and, and why why I do that especially if say a would you rather relates to something else from my course is is that what like Kyle said that idea of spiraling it's it's keeping sure. fresh ideas in our mind so you know I'll, I'll budget that time for that and then if it's a new idea I will I will go through that three-act math task like the filing cabinet and teach through that task so like what Kyle said is um and if we refer back to the five practices book, that first stage was anticipation, but there's four other stages during that lesson. Um, you know, the the one, uh, the next one is the monitoring stages when you give them the task walking around from group to group, which 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 we just talked about. You know, if a group's done early, you can give them the next steps. And what you're also doing is watching for those representations that we we talked about, so that we can bring them out into the open. And and that selecting and sequencing are those other phases of the practices, like how do I select which um, representation we want to show to the class so that we can bring that that learning out into the open. And and the sequencing is which ones are which order? Do I have to show everybody's solution? No, I don't have to do that. So, uh, And then the, the last phase of the five practices is connecting those ideas together. So if a, a student... Um, uh, what and if we refer to Andrew's filing cabinet, you know, I was blown away when one student found the area of the the face of a, of the rectangles and then the area of a sticky note and then and divided them to find how many sticky notes like i like i i knew that answer was coming and and if i had taught that lesson like hey guys we're going to do this cool video problem and let me show you how to do it that's what i would have showed them but what i was blown away with is another kid solved it completely different by by dividing up how many sticky notes would go up the side and then how many would go over. So they broke the width and length and height mm. down in terms of sticky notes and then found area that way. And, you know, that that wouldn't have come out into the open and uh, for us to analyze, like if I had just shown them how to do it. Right. And, and that kid who thought of that at the beginning of class, like, oh, I, I got this idea. And when they and if I had taught it the traditional way of saying my solution, they would have thought they were completely wrong. Mm -hmm. Like they would have had that. Oh, I, I didn't know what I was doing. The teacher didn't do that. I must have been wrong. And that, and I never want that for my students. So, that's why teaching through the five practices and teaching through the task can be so valuable for all those kids. Um, and then, and then once you connect those ideas together, that's like what we said. We call that the flipped class. Really, the flipped class is, and it's not about technology. It's just about like now. It's time for us. To, maybe we do a note at the end. Um, we, we go through like, what did we do here? We talked about area of rectangles. Well, let's, let's go through like, and it also might've been, might be the case where your kids really struggled with area of rectangles, like the majority of them. And that's, and that's fine because that, that gives you the chance to stop the class mm -hmm. and go, we need to teach this right now. Mm -hmm. And, and you can have a mini lesson on area of rectangles in the middle of your lecture or a lesson, um, and and then they can send them back to finish that one off and 
And then the next phase and what I always do in my routines is why I budget 40 minutes for those those activities and, and have it, all that happen within those 40 minutes is I definitely want practice to happen on the concepts that we're learning that day. Like I, I choose that learning goal on purpose so that by the end of class, we've accomplished the learning goal we set out to accomplish. Like if we wanted to learn about area rectangles and then practice area rectangles, we did that by the end of class. Um, so, so that practice could be uh, it could be, you know, turning back to your Zern at the end. And now we're going to go and practice uh, using the activity that they're already used to practicing or learning from. So it could be going straight to the questions um, mm-hmm. because you've already done like a sure. mini lesson. But I think, you know, I think the beget- the having that lesson set up that way gives you your class a different feel, you know, that it gives them that. Uh, sense of uh, belonging like their voice matters like that one kid who presented that solution which was different than the one I would have probably done is feeling like a million bucks you know Um, so that would be what my 70 minutes would look like it would it would end with practice uh, and in a little probably a mini note right before we turn to that practice the next day would you do you do those activities every day like some kind of I mean maybe not a three act but every day you do some kind of an inquiry you know every okay every new idea so for example at the end of that lesson if I felt like we were my kids master you know they were masters of area of rectangles and we were ready to move on to circles or we were ready to move on to trapezoids or or whatever whatever we were doing next i might if if that was true then i might do yeah another task the next day to introduce that idea but if i didn't feel like my kids were ready that might turn into a practice where we you know we 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 have the kids up at the boards solving problems together or um, or we would sometimes I, I use something that I, I've got off a few teachers called uh, like row games, which are like uh, activity sheets that, you know, want your one partner has these questions and your other partner has these questions and you're doing the questions uh, simultaneously. They're different questions, but their answers mm-hmm. are the same oh. so that when I get answer A and you got answer B or you've, you've got column B questions and we check our answers, they should be the same. And if they're not, then we have to talk about we have to talk about oh, why. Cool. So I try to make practice a little bit more engaging than just regular kind of practice, but my second day might look like that. Okay. And and I think it's important to note too that uh, not every uh, task, like if we're going to teach a new concept, every task doesn't necessarily have to have a video. You know, I mean, making it as visual as possible, I think is helpful to lower the floor. So super helpful, but sometimes there's like, you can you can find a really interesting problem and even just through telling telling it like a story mm-hmm. can be can be really helpful and um i i do want to make sure that uh, before you know before we start wrapping things up i want to make sure that uh you know you don't get us wrong we're not expecting all of this to change overnight but sure. you know just to give you some things to think about and to you know kind of chew on a little bit um So we're wondering, though, you know, at this point, like, is there anything that from this conversation that you feel like you might be able to put into into practice, like almost immediately, like something, you know, that resonated with you and you're like, yes, I'm going to do this like right away. And then maybe is there anything that you think like you're going to you like the idea, but, you know, you want to you have to give it some time because it's got to sink in. You got to think about it, maybe, you know, chew on it a little bit more. Do you mind sharing uh, with us if there's anything like that? Well, I definitely like the idea of um, challenging those 
high flyers to be a little more in depth with their their uh, explanations and improving it and having that next question for them um, or those kind of things. And, um, you know, I like the idea of finding different ways to get them to practice as well. Um, I, I don't really feel that there's anything that that seems out of reach. Honestly, I feel like a lot of it is things that, you know, I've already kind of started. I just need to hone down. And I like the idea of, of, of making it a 40 minute, you know, being mindful. I think my biggest struggle is I really enjoy hearing mm-hmm. the kids talk. And so it's very hard. Mm-hmm. That's my, and maybe I need to set a boundary with the kids. Like I'm going to get five good, you know, cause it's, they get so disappointed when you don't listen to them all. And I genuinely could spend an entire math class listening to all their reasoning. Like I really mm-hmm. could. And so that's, I know that's my struggle is I let too many kids talk about it, but it's hard. It's hard to limit yourself, you for know? Sure. Yeah, for sure. So those are good. Uh, those are definitely good reflections on, on your part there. We're, we're hoping that, uh, you know, we, you've got some good takeaways from this. Um, and it sounds like Definitely. you do. It sounds like you do. Um, we're we're coming up. We're coming up on an hour, and it's already been an almost an hour. And I can't I can't really believe it. But uh, uh, we want to know: uh, is would it be okay, Nicole, if we you know we follow up with you um, like this again, like uh, talk with you uh, in about six to twelve months to see how things are going, like a check in, to see how, how things have changed or or that kind of thing. So, well, th- not to say that we don't want to. Uh, communicate for six to 12 months, but uh, <laughs> don't call uh, me. Definitely, call you can definitely email us <laughs> or, uh, you know, send us a tweet or whatever, whatever uh, your communication method is. We were always, our, you know, our ears are always open. We're always open to, to answering those kind of emails. So uh, yeah, we would love to follow up with you to see that kind of that change the, that you're making. Yeah, I definitely will. And I'm sure I'll have some questions as I go to implement, like, wait, what are they? Cause it's a <laughs> lot, but um, yeah, I, I, I really do. And I, I'm so excited about, math this way like it really has been a big aha to to get kids excited and and encourage them to have the questions first before we give them the information and I I love that idea so I feel that I've been searching kind of for this my whole career and so I'm I'm, I am excited you know for the way it's headed. That's amazing stuff. That's awesome. That makes us feel uh, so good inside. And that's exactly, you know, hearing that from you is, is what, you know, fuels John and I to, to want to do this work because, uh, you know, when we, we felt the same way when, when we were inspired by, you know, John had referenced on a previous podcast, you know, for him, Marion Small kind of sparked his, his thinking with open questions. And for me, it was Dan Meyer. And, and since then it's been so many people and you've mentioned so many of them here today. We talked about, you know, we heard Robert's name and Christina's name and Steve Wyburnie's name and Andrew Stadel. Like so many people are out there doing really interesting things. And just like you've expressed to us today, like, you know, as cool and awesome as that is, it's really, really overwhelming as well. And, Completely. you know, I, I want to, you know, tip my hat to you to that, that you were willing to come and, you know, sort of share that with us and with everyone else, because I, I think people at home probably, you know, can relate. And some people might be listening, going like, oh my gosh, you know, she's so much further ahead than I am because I didn't even know who any of those people are. Right. So, um, you know, wherever we are in the journey, the, the best part is, uh, is coming together and, and really trying trying to build off of the collective, like the knowledge of the collective here. Yeah. So um, we want to thank you. John and I both want to thank you. And, and on behalf of the uh, Making Math Moments That Matter podcast community, thanks for spending your time tonight. And, you know, 
pouring it all out on the line with us. And uh, we can't wait to uh, check in with you along the way, but uh, but also to bring you back on and, you know, say uh, six to 12 months to, to see how things are going. Well, I'm excited and I really appreciate um, all the things you guys share. Like, it's amazing. It's really neat that there's people out there like you guys that are willing to share your expertise and and be so helpful to those of us that are trying to learn more along the way. So awesome. Uh, it's truly an honor yeah, for us. So uh, thanks again. And uh, yeah, hopefully we will see you out on the, in the Twitter sphere <laughs> or on Facebook or through email. Um, but it, regardless, um, thanks again. And uh, we will be in touch in, uh, in, in due time. Thank you. Take care. Have a great night. You too. Well, there you have it. That was Nicole Martin from Las Vegas, Nevada. We're looking forward to checking back with her to see how she's incorporated her biggest takeaways from this call over the next six months to a year. This was the first Math Mentoring Moment episode with many more to come, where we will have a conversation with a member of the Making Math Moments That Matter community like you, who's working through a challenge and together... We're going to brainstorm ideas and next steps to help overcome it. If you want to join us on the podcast for an upcoming Math Mentoring Moment episode where you too can share a big math class struggle, you can apply over at makemathmoments.com forward slash mentor. That's makemathmoments.com forward slash mentor. In order to ensure you don't miss out on new episodes as they come out each week, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform by simply searching or using these quick links. For iTunes, go to makemathmoments.com forward slash iTunes. For Google Play, go to makemathmoments.com forward slash play. For Spotify, go to makemathmoments.com slash Spotify. And quick links will work for most other popular podcasting platforms as well. Also, if you're liking what you're hearing, please share this podcast with a colleague and help us reach a wider audience by leaving us a review on iTunes and go ahead and tweet us at Make Math Moments on Twitter. We would love to hear what you have to say. Show notes and links to resources from this episode can be found at makemathmoments.com forward slash episode five. Again, that's makemathmoments.com forward slash episode five. You can also find Make Math Moments on all social media platforms and seek out our free private Facebook group, Math Teaching and Learning K through 12. Don't miss our next episode. But if you're not interested in waiting till then, why not watch our four-part video series to help build resilient problem solvers who don't want to stop learning math when the bell rings. You can find that free four-lesson video series at makemathmoments.com forward slash lesson one. That's makemathmoments.com forward slash lesson one. Well, until next time, I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. High fives for us. And high fives for you. If you are a district leader of mathematics, a math coach, a math curriculum coordinator, a superintendent and principal, getting teacher buy-in for effective math teaching practice is top of mind. And plans only go so far. You can make you know detailed plans and, and carefully designed goals with clear objectives and key results that are measurable. But that can feel like it all falls flat 
if we can't engage our teachers in the work. Working with teachers who do not want to change their teaching practices is one of the most frustrating and challenging parts of our job. How do I help teachers engage in effective teaching practices when they keep pushing us away? If you can't reach the tipping point in mass adoption of effective mathematics teaching strategies, then it's it's likely we won't see student improvement in mathematics. We have a free training uh, and accompanying workbook for leaders of mathematics like you. Uh, the, math, the Make Math Moments team, myself, John, and Kyle walk you through our four-stage process uh, we use with district partners to create clear, measurable, sustainable PD action plans, but more specifically on how to also get teacher buy-in so that it drives student engagement. So step one, register for this free training, get your planning workbook, um, and then watch the training. Schedule some time on your calendar so you can watch it and go through the workbook. After completing that workbook, you're going to have a clear, measurable vision, action plan for mathematics to get more teacher buy-in, but also be able to hit your goals for the 2024-2025 school year. So head on over to makemathmoments.com forward slash four stages to start this free training.